You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning, North Valley. Good being uh, with you this morning. My name is Ryan. For those of you that are new, glad that you have joined us today. So everybody's recovering from the Thanksgiving holiday season. I know that was a lot of fun. A uh, great time to be grateful for all that God's doing here in our church and our friends and our family. We've got Baptism Sunday coming up on December 16th. And uh, if you've never taken that step forward to be baptized, that's a really special time to do that. Uh, maybe you've got some questions about baptism. We did a little brochure right here called North Valley Community Church Baptism. And, uh, you know, we've got a number of folks that have come through our church. About a third of our church comes from a Catholic background uh, or Episcopalian or Lutheran or something like that. And then another third uh, comes from an unchurched background. So you're in good company. And then um, as well, about a third of our church come from conservative evangelical backgrounds. And so um, at North Valley, we wanted to provide just a helpful resource to understand what baptism is, because I know for many people that come out of the, that first category I talked about, many fa- families and adults and, and young people were infant baptized. Um, the New Testament teaches that baptism is something that you make a decision, that you do that. It's a believer who says, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. I want to identify with Jesus, and I'm going to move forward in my choice to say, I love Jesus and live for Jesus. And they, when they come into the waters, it's, it's, it's that symbolism of their becoming one with Jesus Christ. It's not based on somebody's sanctification on how holy they are, but it's based on they've made a profession of faith and there is salvation. And so we're going to celebrate that uh, coming up on December 16th. I want to encourage you if you will, take just a moment, look at your program there, and I think it's got all the dates there for you to be able to see all the things that are going on in the church, and grab that program and look at that, and if you'd like to get registered for that, I'd encourage you to do that. <clears throat> Again, we've got a number of families that come out of that, that category that they were baptized as an infant, and what I want to encourage, take the pressure off and just say, hey, listen, your mom and dad were doing a great thing, and being able to trying to get you involved in the church, trying to get you connected to Jesus. But baptism, as the New Testament teaches, is your choice that you make to go public with your faith, and it's full immersion. Um, All the New Testament leaders in in the Bible did practice this. The apostles practiced it. Church history practiced it. And it's awesome. And so what we've got going on is we have actually got a youth camp that's going on the week before. Sometimes young people make a decision for Jesus Christ and they come back and they get baptized. Um, Many of you right now, you need to make that decision though. You go, I've been a believer and I've never been baptized. Or I'm a believer and I got baptized as an infant, but it really wasn't my choice. That was my parents' choice. And I'm ready to go public in my faith. Years ago, I've told you before, I was the the punk, rebellious kid that uh, wandered away from the church, wandered away from Jesus, and I actually got baptized as a teenager, but I wasn't even a Christian. I just got baptized because this really cute Christian girl told me, I don't date non-Christians. And I said, I told my buddy, I said, I'm getting baptized tomorrow. And so I got baptized, and then I came up out of the water, and I said, hey, Allison, would you like to date me? And she said, no, you're a liar. And I said snap, she found me out. And later in life, I became a Christian at 18 years old and my whole life changed. And I got baptized in front of my whole church. 
And I want to encourage you to do that. I had the privilege and the opportunity to baptize my wife. It was so cool. I've had the privilege and opportunity to baptize my kiddos. Listen, parents, if your son or daughter is ready, you get to come forward and you get to help participate in that baptism. We've baptized entire families here at North Valley. I want to encourage you, don't miss that opportunity. It's going to be so awesome. All right, one other thing real quick before we get started in the message today. Why don't you, all you junior high, high school kids, why don't you come on around here, come up on the front of the stage here, and let's give them a big round of applause. This is our, our second service, and we've got a bunch more in the first service, and so the student ministries is growing. Melinda, why don't you talk about what are you guys doing for outreach to share and show the love of Jesus during the Christmas season. Why don't you talk to us about that? Okay, so starting last night, we decided to do an illumination outreach where we are handing out free candy canes to everyone that is in line waiting to see the light show right next door. So every Friday and Saturday up until Christmas, we're asking for adults, parents, and 6th through 12th grade children to come help us be out there from 7.30 to 9 p.m. and hand out free candy canes and share God's love in our community because it is so important for our community to see God in action. And so tell us, so you went to Walmart the other day, you made a special trip and you bought a bunch of uh, uh, candy canes. Tell us about yeah. what, how that happened. So, what happened? So I went to, can, um, I went to candy canes. I went to Walmart And I decided to buy their stock supply of candy canes, which when an employee walks by you while you're buying their stock of candy canes, they look at you weird and say, do you like candy canes? (laughs) So I said, yes, but we're doing an outreach event with our church where we're handing out free candy canes to families and sharing God's love in our community. And they said, wow, we want to be a part of that. And that was took me back a little. I was like, wow, Walmart, really? Like, you want to give me... So they gave us $20 towards the candy canes that we bought for this event. And it was really cool to see God in action just through others as well. Yeah, that's cool, isn't it? We had Madison Granite when we first got on this campus. They donated, it was like $10,000, $15,000 worth of granite for our parking lots. They found out that that we could make a small improvement, and they decided to jump in. And here's what I've said is you know that God's favor is on a church when community outside of the church is giving resources to help make that thing keep moving. So can we celebrate God's favor on our church? Yeah. And, and I have to do a course correction here real quick. She said, even though it was Walmart, like, I mean, I'm from Arkansas. Come on, Melinda. Like, Sam Walton, of Sorry. course you got the support because you went yes. to Walmart. There you go. Well, I have the blessing of teaching all of these students right here. And I will be back there in that back corner at the end of the connection corner with a sign up for any of you guys that would like to join us and join our outreach and you get to serve alongside these kids who are super awesome. You could get to know and share God's love in our community. So I hope to see you back there at the end of service, signing up for a space. There you go. Thank them again. That's really awesome. Thanks, guys, for being a part this morning. Do you guys want, you can just stand here the entire time while I preach if you want to. That would be funny. That, that would be great. Okay. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're in, in Timothy this morning. The Apostle Paul is writing 
uh, giving some pastoral instruction. The, uh, the book of Timothy is in your New Testament, so it's towards the very back. If you need to look at the table of contents, go ahead and do that. Don't worry, you're in good company. Uh, but go ahead and check that out. The Apostle Paul is writing to give, I would say, given a financial game plan. Helping people to understand the importance within the church, not just in the area of relationships or marriage or uh, uh, challenging situations that they're in, but also in the area of understanding material possession. And the, apostle, the, the apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and in Titus, it's been called the pastoral epistles. And he's given specific instruction to a church that needs to have a, a great understanding of how to view and how to understand uh, contentment, issues of contentment, wealth, and the area of generosity. And so this morning, we're going to walk through a passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And here's the first thing we're going to learn is that he says that godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Let's say that together. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. I'm going to win at life, I'm going to do great in life, and I'm going to move forward in life when I live a godly lifestyle. I always like to say at North Valley, you want to get in line with God's design. That's the best way you're going to live. And the best thing that you're going to do in life is if you live a godly life, it's a life patterned after the person and the work of Jesus Christ, you're going to find yourself in a great spot. Contentment is a big issue though, especially when it comes to finances. Let me take the pressure off just for a moment. Right now, you have millions of marketeers working really hard to make you discontent. They're pushing very hard for you to be very discontent with your situation. Let me take the pressure off again. When you're looking at Facebook all the time and you see all the wonderful, beautiful, smiling faces, those are their best, okay? They deleted all the worst. <laughs> they didn't even post the worst. And that creates, can create discontentment. So what you're going to learn this morning is you're going to see the Apostle Paul giving some practical theology on what it looks like to have, a, I would call, a, a game winner's attitude and mindset towards these things. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Look what he says. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't, cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. He says that we, brought, we came into the world with nothing. We're going to leave with nothing. Um, you know, it's interesting when you study uh, ancient history, you see the stories or, the, or the, read the research of, about the, the, the pharaohs and the Egyptians. They were buried with tombs and with lots of stuff in these tombs because they believed you could take it into the afterlife. They believed that you could actually take stuff with you when you die. Um, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. Uh, this is what Paul, Paul says. We brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. Um, somebody asked, I think it was uh, uh, Andrew Carnegie, um, I, he, they said to his accountant once he died, they said, uh, um, how much money did he leave? He was loaded. How much money did he leave? And the accountant was pretty smart and said, he left everything. 100%. You can't take it with you. That's why when you go to a, a, a memorial service, you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? You just don't see that. The reality is, is that um, we've got, came into this world with nothing, we're going to leave this world with nothing. When we pass away, I believe it'll be like a seamless transition. And the, to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. And we need to give account, and the Apostle Paul's teaching this perspective to understand that we can do a lot 
with very little. I like the new trend that you see on TV where you see all these small houses, you know? I mean, I could never live in one of those things. One of those, those little things that you see, they're, they're like setting up a tiny house, a little whatever in Nowhereville, and they're loving it. And, uh, but what I do love about that, although I could never do that, is that it's, I think it's combating materialism. And I think that's healthy for our culture. It's saying that we don't need more to be happy. And I, I think that's right on. What I want to do this morning is I want you to understand, maybe probe the heart just a little bit and ask this question, what are you discontent about? What are you not content about? Maybe you fill in the blank. I'm discontent about my business or my debt or I'm discontent about my job. Take a moment, look at your program. I want you to fill in the blank right there. I don't have the answer for you on what you're discontent about. I'm discontent, and I'm probing on the area of material possessions right now. I'm discontent about my income. I'm discontent about my car. I wish I had a new car. I'm discontent about how much money we can spend for Christmas this year. I'm discontent about my home. I wish it looked better. I wish Chip and Joanna would come over and fix up my house. You know, it's interesting to me, though, is that um, here's what I want to challenge you to do is, is this, is maybe you check one of those boxes. I choose to trust God with this today. It's like this, Lord, I'm discontent, but I'm choosing to trust you with this today. Whatever that is, and if you can't fill in the blank right now because your mind's not that alert for this area in your life, maybe later today. But then make a decision, will I choose to trust God with this today? And maybe you just say, and you're open and you're honest, it's okay to be that here. I don't choose to trust God with this today. And then you take it back. And then you hold on to that discontentment. But then you got to wrestle with what Jesus says. Jesus says this, is one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So life, enjoyment, gratitude, thankfulness, cheer, joy, happiness, does not consist in what you possess consists of the abundance of possessions, not at all. And I think what we have in American culture is we have obsession with possession. We want more all the time. PBS did a, did a, a, a TV series not too long ago called Affluenza. And it was the idea to address the modern plague of materialism. Listen to some of these statistics about American culture and materialism. The average American spends six hours a week shopping while spending only 40 minutes with their children every week. That's disproportionate. That's a problem. By the age of 20, um, the average American will watch one million commercials. And today, there are more Americans that have declared bankruptcy than have graduated college. And 90% of all cases regarding divorce, arguments seem to stem around or circle around the idea and the frustration about money. So money's a big deal, and the Apostle Paul's addressing this. When it comes to material wealth and happiness, the publication, this, uh, this, this series, kind of didn't, it wasn't pushing a moral agenda, uh, some kind of religious theme. It was just teaching practical, pragmatic truths about money and possessions. 
And it went on to state and, and share some of the, the highlights of different people and different testimonies that they've given about wealth in American history. W.H. Vanderbilt once said, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. John D. Rockefeller once said, I've made millions, but they've brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford once said, I was happier doing the work of a mechanic. You don't need a lot to be happy, but that's not the way we believe things in American culture today. So what I want to do is I want to just encourage you maybe to think about a budget. If you're not on a budget, think about your lifestyle. I'm going to walk through this very quick. If you're not on a budget, I want to encourage you to get on a budget. We've got classes to help you do that. But think about your lifestyle because your lifestyle will help you, I think, in the area of growing in peace and contentment with where you're at and what's going on in your life. These are the areas that you want to look at in, with your lifestyle. Your living quarters, your insurance, your food, your groceries, entertainment budget. That's a, that's a really high one oftentimes. How much do you spend on entertainment? And you know what's interesting is the studies have shown is that the more people try to entertain and try to make themselves feel good and have a lot of fun, and oftentimes is the less they're being generous, investing into the community, reaching out, releasing resources, and they find themselves frustrated. But it's okay to have entertainment. There's also this understanding of seasonal. When you have seasonal expenses, right now we're moving into the Christmas season. And you have pressure on you to make everybody happy in the home, to get lots of gifts. Are you budgeting for those kind of the things? Transportation, the car you drive. I just want to challenge you for a moment. You don't have to drive a brand new car. If you, you know, I mean, and many of us have made decisions before that we regret, right? You, drive, you buy a car, you drive it off the lot, and within minutes it drops in value of 25%. And that's frustrating. That's not going to help with contentment. It's only going to hurt. We've made decisions that we don't like and regrets of things that we've purchased. The Y stands for your clothes. I've got regrets. If you walked into my closet, I'd show you all my regrets. Things have gone out of style. Things that don't look good, they don't last. There's legal obligations, taxes, bills to pay. All these things you have to pay for. And then there's everything else. If you don't have a budget, I want to encourage you to get on a budget. If you need help getting on a budget, we'll, we'll help you do that. Secondly, the Apostle Paul addresses this uh, reality that we need to realize that more riches can actually ruin you. And, but he specifically is going after the heart, and he's going to dig down, and he says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. There's three things he mentions there. He says that you can fall into temptation when you have this desire to be, to be rich, constantly desiring to be rich, you fall into temptation and into a snare. How many of you guys have ever been hit up for those get-rich-quick schemes? And they just sound too good to be true. Well, guess what? If it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. The reality is, is that when you have this desire constantly to be rich, you open yourself up to temptation and the Paul uses this illustration of a snare. It's something that you would use to catch an animal, a hunter would use to lure an animal in and then snag them. That 
Desire can lead into all sorts of temptations and into a snare. Into many senseless and harmful desires plunge people into ruin and destruction. Years ago, I had the privilege and the opportunity to serve as a chaplain for the Texas Rangers. And I would oftentimes hear stories. Usually, I would counsel and encourage the guys. And it usually stemmed around relationships and money. That's what we always talked about. I would talk to the guys about relationships and money. And many of these guys found themselves in tremendous financial trouble because they were tempted with so much, having so much, they could have anything they wanted almost. So they would travel, they'd they'd buy houses in the surprise area, then they'd go back to Texas, they'd buy houses in Texas, then they'd go back home wherever they're from and buy houses there. And then they had lots of free time, lots of, not, not lots of free time. They didn't have a lot of free time. They didn't play a lot of baseball games but they were away from their families a lot and took them away. And it fell, they fell into all sorts. I found myself listening and counseling all these private little confessions about these guys with a lot of money and I didn't hear a lot of happiness. The more we have, sometimes the worse things can get. It's not always the case, but Jesus warns against this desire just to be rich or this desire just to have more, more, more. According to Sports Illustrated, Most people aren't good at being rich, really rich. Uh, 78% of NFL players go broke within two years of retirement. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of players. 60% of NBA players will go broke within five years of walking off the court. And it's probably no shock to you as well um, for lottery winners. You know, we've got these big lotteries and you think, oh, wow, that's wonderful. People get rich. Yes, many people... Um, many people spend their money and waste their money. And statistics are always in, in the lottery ticket uh, company's favor. It's never in the person's favor. But most lottery winners that do hit the jackpot will go broke within three to five years. And so the reality is, is the Apostle Paul is challenging us to realize that there is a lot of danger in this in, insatiable desire to be rich. Thirdly, we're going to learn that the love of money is the root problem, not money. You've, you've probably heard it said, money is the root of all evil. Wrong. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. The Apostle Paul says in 6.10, he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And we'll look at many of those kinds of evils here in a moment. But he's pushing on, what do you love? Jesus said this, the greatest commandment, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The reason why when you love money, it is a competitor against God. And if you have a desire where you just say, I mean, I've worked with guys before um, outside of the church and just on consulting and encouraging, serving as like a, a counselor, for them and their projects. And I've heard people say this before, I love money. And I say, that is incredibly dangerous. That is not biblical. That's not the way you should do it. You can love to be productive, love to be profitable, love your business to thrive and flourish, and you should. If you have the mindset that you're going to use it for good and for God's glory. But Love is a core issue, and the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Jesus challenges that, and we're, we're, we're going to see that more. So here's what you do. 
with our money. We worship with our wealth. We don't worship our wealth. So all the resources that God provides, we worship with it. No matter how much he provides, we worship with it. Is it wrong to be rich and very wealthy? No, not at all. It's wrong to love your wealth and love your money. The Old Testament, let me name out many very wealthy individuals in the beginning part of your Bible. You have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Jacob, you have Joseph, prime minister of Egypt. You have King David, you have King Solomon that had more riches than Warren Buffett of his day. You have Job who had massive fortunes. In the New Testament, you have Joanna and Susanna that aided Jesus along in the ministry, very wealthy women that helped flourish the ministry of Jesus. They were worshiping with their wealth. They're not worshiping their wealth. You have Lydia. She, by the way, opened up the first house church in Europe. She was a business, uh, a business leader, and she opened up her home in the first church in Europe Boom, Lydia opens it up. Very wealthy, gifted, godly woman. You have a Roman centurion that became a Christian, hearing about Jesus, and then helps use the funds, his wealth, to help build a worship facility. You have Barnabas, who takes his property, divides his land, real estate agent guy, real estate investor, takes his property, sells his property, gives the proceeds to the church. Very wealthy, very godly. Then you have a guy, you have all the women that donated spices and perfumes at the burial of Jesus and many more. So wealthy people are not, uh, um, wealthy people are, are not people that God says, oh, well, you're just a bad person. We love the poor. That's poverty theology. That's not right. Um, but God, you can use your wealth for great good and to worship with your wealth. Here's what King Solomon said about money. He gives the same admonition that the Apostle Paul says. He says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have does not mean the happier you will be. Jesus put it like this to give more explanation on the importance of understanding that you need to worship Jesus. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What Jesus does uniquely in this instance, in this uh, uh, example, is he personifies money. Money is mammon, is the word mammon, and it means a rival God. And what it means is Jesus is saying, you can't serve money. You can't do that and serve me. You have to pick. Um, money is a competitor is a rival God that wants the allegiance of every follower of Jesus. There is a demonic attack on every one of us as Christians in the area of money and possessions that whispers little lies that says, if you only had more, you'd be more happy. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life exists in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, if you have food and clothing, with it, you'll be okay. As long as you're walking in godliness, practice contentment, is great gain. Great gain in life. Money is a rival God, and money could be used as either an, is an idol or money is a tool. 
money can either be an idol or it can be a tool. You worship money, you sacrifice everything on the altar of success. I hear business leaders, men and women, tell me this. I gave everything I had to make that business work. And I'm like, well, how's your family? Well, that's the problem. Because they sacrifice everything on the altar of success. That's when you know money is your God. Because what a God wants is sacrifice. And what mammon wants from you is sacrifice. Everything you got, give it to that. And then what happens is, is you end up winding up in a mountain of debt and you have a burden, you don't have a blessing. You find yourself walking around with incredible burden in life financially because you're not free. You're not feeling God's blessing. You're feeling the burden of mammon, the God who's competing for your allegiance, over-promising and under-delivering. Money can be an idol or money can be a great tool. Jesus said it like this in regards to the challenges. He says in Matthew 19, 24, he says, I'll say again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And there's several negative, uh, ne- negative examples of those that are wealthy. You have the rich young ruler, the guy who was tested by Jesus and his allegiance. And Jesus tells him, you need to take your possessions and give it all away. And the reason why Jesus was doing that is because he knew mammon was his God. And he says, you can only serve one master. You, you can't have both. The rich young guy takes all that he has and he walks away from Jesus and says, I can't follow you. Yeah, that's a negative example. You have Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts where they lied about the proceeds. They were greedy in the church and they lied about it. You have rich, corrupt Christians that exploded, exploited the poor in James chapter two. You read about that. So there's plenty of examples in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, wealthy people, Um, that used it to worship with their wealth, and then you have wealthy people that worshiped their wealth. Number four, here's what we're going to learn, is that craving to be rich could actually crush you. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many pangs. To wander away from the faith means idolatry in this context. It's that you're, you're choosing to value, to love, Uh, money more than the master Jesus. They wander away from the faith and these many pains that they're going to experience is the pain of discontentment, jealousy, greed, and coveting. If you find yourself constantly discontent, it could be a fruit of a root problem. The root of all evil, the Bible just told us, is the love of money. So if we have a under the cover, under the ground, root problem, our love, our affection is wrapped around money, success, power, and image, those kind of things that then the fruit will come out of incredible discontentment, jealousy, greed, and coveting. That's no freedom. There's, There's no gain in that. There's loss, spiritual loss, emotional loss, relational loss. It's a loss of physical health. You can lose sleep over this. And so the challenge for us is to learn how to get good at being rich. Look what he says in 1 Timothy 6.17. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now you said, maybe you said, well, I'm not rich because maybe you think of rich people and you think of guys like 
Jeff Bezos, owner, operator of uh, Amazon. Mega, I mean, billionaire. Maybe you think of guys like uh, Bill Gates. Or maybe you think of guys like Warren Buffett. And you think, they're rich, I'm not rich. Well, according to Forbes magazine, not the Bible, I'm just saying secular writers and thinkers, this is what they say about you and I being rich. Listen. Forbes magazine says that the poor in the United States are richer than the majority of all the world's population. Let me say that again. According to Forbes magazine, the poor in the United States are richer than the vast majority of the world's population. So what does that mean? That means that there's, well, there's 7.7 billion people in the world today. The average global income is $1,200. That wouldn't get us very far in American culture, $1,200 for our average household income. The globally elite in American, uh, or in global perspectives, the income is $34,000. So in other words, if you make $34,000 as a household income, you're among the globally elite. I know, it's a matter of perspective. You say, well, I couldn't live on that here necessarily. But in perspective, we have a lot. If we have food in the fridge, clothes on our back, a roof over our head, from a global perspective, we're in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people in the world. So what does it look like for us to commit to being good at being rich? I think first thing is you've got to realize that you are rich. And so how do you live as a believer? The first thing is not in your, your program, but I will point it out to you. You might want to write this down, is that the Apostle Paul says, look in the verse there. He says that, charge them not to be haughty, that's to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything. My point there would be is to set your hope on God. Set your hope on God, who richly provides you with everything. The biggest deal in the Christian life is, are you going to trust the Lord? Is your hope in Him? Because if you lose your house, you still got God if you put your hope in God. If you lose your job, you still have the Lord. He's your hope. You still have, if you, and so you could go on and on. If you put your hope in, in, in success, well, what happens when you're unsuccessful? You got no hope. So put your hope on the Lord. Additionally, we're going to see, he says this in verse 18, he says, they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Verse 19, thus storing up treasures for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There's three things that the Apostle Paul teaches that are very, I think, good remedies uh, to combat uh, consumerism, to fight materialism, is this, as he says, do good works. It's really cool. Over the years, I've had the opportunity with some of the wealthiest people that I know to go do mission projects. And I, they find so much joy in doing that kind of stuff. And they could write the checks for everything to be done and never show up. But the Apostle Paul wants you to personally get involved. Christians should be personally involved and that's what unites us. It's really cool when we do service projects or mission projects. You have incredibly wealthy people. You have people that don't have a lot of what we would say wealth in our context. And you're just laboring and serving together. 
The Apostle Paul challenges, do good works. Secondly, we see, be generous. Be generous in our giving. Be generous in our lifestyle. Be generous with people. Be generous towards our church. Be generous to help give, to help invest, to help resource. He says that we're to be generous, and then he says, and ready to share. I want to invite up for you an op, um, and a, a friend of mine who is um, sharing his time and his talent to help make a difference in our church, um, to help serve with a special workshop. Will you guys welcome up to the stage for me, Taurus? He's a friend of mine. He's taking some time to share. All right, so Taurus, um, you are doing a, a workshop for us. And so personal finances, playbook, you're going to be doing that next week, and you're sharing your time. Yes. I think that's awesome. It's going to help our church a lot. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that workshop real quick. Okay. How are we doing today, church? We have a workshop next Sunday, December 2nd at 12 p.m. So next week after this service, just stay pizza, soda, and we're going to talk about how to tackle debt. And again, I know everybody don't have debt, and that's great. But there'll be a few things that we're going to focus on. And the first thing is perceptions versus reality when it comes to money. We'll look at how society looks at credit and how they look at wealth. Also, we'll take you through a step-by-step process on how to get rid of debt and how to get rid of debt quicker than you think is possible. I know some people may think, well, Tars, I'm in debt. I've been in debt for the rest of my life. And I hear that all the time. But the reality of things is that I can show you some strategies to help you get rid of debt quicker than you think is possible. And thirdly, we'll try to motivate you. Pastor and I will try to get you motivated, get some traction. And again, people are on different situations financially. Income is different. So regardless of income, regardless of the position you may be in, everyone can stand to improve their finances in some type of way. Yeah. And you know what's really cool is that last week when I shared this idea of doing this workshop, uh, we knew it would cost the church about $25 uh, a participant or household. And so, um, so that was going to provide, and it wouldn't even cover all the costs, but we were just going to do it as a church. 25 bucks, you get a cool little workbook, personal finance playbook, tackling debt. Uh, that, that's going to be really cool. We're going to be able to hand that out. Um, and then as well... Um, Somebody came up and said, hey, um, my wife and I love that idea, and we want a scholarship, 100% of those people that participate in that workshop. Isn't that cool? Can we celebrate that? So it, that's really cool. It's gonna, so you can register online um, to, to get a part, be a part of that. And I thought what you said earlier about, you know, we've some families in our church, maybe they don't have a lot of debt now, but they're already thinking about maybe sending their kids to college. How are they going to pay for that? You know, those kind of things. And the last thing you guys want, listen to me, in your life, no matter what stage you're at, is a burden of debt on your life. That's not helpful. It's not healthy. And so we want to help you at North Valley be free. We want you to feel a life where you're not under this burden, but you're able to live with enormous and great blessing in your life. And if we can help you get out of debt, I think you're going to be a greater blessing because God blesses us as believers to bless other people. And so this is really important. We're going to do this so people can register online. 
And then um, just for a moment, will you just share just a tiny tidbit of the why behind you do this? Because uh, I think this is the coolest part. You're not going to hear the whole thing now. Why is he doing this? Um, and, and because like for me as a pastor, why am I here? I'll tell you why I'm here. Because Jesus Christ changed my life through the local church. If it wasn't for the church, man, I'd never be here. I'd be as far away from the church as possible. The local church changed my life because they introduced me to a grace-saving message of Jesus Christ. So why, why, why this? Why do this debt? Why do this debt workshop? Why do this debt workshop? Well, quick story, very, very quick. I grew up in poverty, Greenville, Mississippi. If you haven't heard of it, look it up. It's probably the, not knocking anybody from Mississippi, number one, but it's probably one of the poorest states here in, in America. So growing up in poverty, welfare, food stamps, government cheese, that was normal in my community. I got an opportunity to get out of Greenville, Mississippi and go to San Diego, Paradise. And in Paradise, with high school, with the University of San Diego, and at University of San Diego, I remember thinking, wow, everybody in this school must be really rich because it, it looked that way. And what I found out later is that most of those people's parents, the kids' parents, plan for their education investments away for the education so that they can afford their education. Now, when I graduated University of San Diego, I went to Las Vegas, so real estate, this is 2004, markets were booming, everybody in sales and real estate was having a good time making a lot of money. A few years later, most of those people lost money. Res um, what was it, the Great Recession, I like to call it. Lost money, lost houses, people lost their families. And at that time, I lost everything too. But at that time, I took the time out to learn about programs like Larry Burkett program, Good Sense, Dave Ramsey's program, and I started to put these things into my life as well. Again, I knew how to make money, but I didn't know how to manage and keep money. So at that time, it was a good time for me to learn how to. And I'll give you the other stories later, but again, this is not about me. It's really about your story. So if you come out, I can guarantee that you'll leave with some good nuggets and some things that you can implement in your life right away. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Can we celebrate him for doing that? I appreciate it. So, um, yeah, we're going to have that workshop. I want to encourage you to register online. The code is, uh, secret, scholarship. So make sure you put in there the discount code is scholarship, and you'll get a free uh, registration and, and come up and be a part of that. Thanks for being a part with us this morning. I appreciate it so much. You guys give another round of applause. Well, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll go ahead and conclude our time in the teaching and continue to worship. Jesus, you're number one. Whether we want to acknowledge you as that, you are. And I pray, God, that this message would, might just be a kickstarter for us to evaluate our attitude, our mindset towards finances and all that. And so, Lord, we pray in this worship time, would you do an extraordinary work in our hearts? to redirect us towards you and worship you with all that we have. And Lord, free us from anything that's hindering us from you. And give us wisdom, practical wisdom, to apply principles from the Bible in the area of our resources, our the material items that we have, our finances that we control and honor and worship you. And as a result, Lord, we trust that your blessing, your joy, your peace will flow upon us more and more as we walk in line with your design. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.